The crowds that Jesus spoke to continued to hear this phrase, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. I've come to bring you the kingdom of God. We already saw his announcement that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I represent the kingdom of God. I wonder how they processed that. We have a little evidence in the Gospels, but I wonder how these crowds, even the disciples, processed Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is here. The reason I wonder is because they, they understood power, authority, a kingdom. They were under the rule of Rome. And Rome was a very benevolent, very gracious, very forgiving kingdom, right? No, it was, it was our way or the highway. I mean, Rome convinced itself, even in its various forms, that we bring the light, we bring law and order, and you either join us or you die. Becky and I were watch, are watching a series, um, a period a TV show that's set in the late 1700s, and um, it was, the scene was in Parliament, and this guy, this MP was, was making his case, and he announced and he was, he was trying to bring reform. Across the aisle from him was William Wilberforce. You know who that is? And so he was sitting there, and they were debating slavery and, and the, the evils of slavery. And in that context, he says he wanted to bring the poor and the oppressed into the discussion. And he said there's 160 reasons on our law, in our laws where someone can be hanged. So in 1797, 1798, if you lived in England and you were the average poor people like most of us would be, you weren't a lord or a lady, there were 160 different things that you could do, and the, the penalty was death by hanging. Those people, under, they had a concept of kingdom, right? And those in authority ruling over everybody else. I wonder what the people in Judea heard and how they processed Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is here. I understand the kingdom of Rome. I understand seeing soldiers in every marketplace and every aspect of my I've seen people drug out for their homes. In fact, most people in Jesus' day, or many in certain parts of Judea, had seen crucifixions as a regular part of their experience. Do you realize that? It was a common occurrence in the kingdom of Rome. I wonder how they processed that. There's another element or influence in their thinking too. They understood the kingdom of Judaism. They understood the rule of the Pharisees and the experts in the law. Have we not seen that as we've walked through Luke so much of their life? In fact, it's not an exaggeration to say that every aspect of their life was ruled by the rules, by the laws. When they washed their hands, how they ate, what they ate, what they wore, and what they couldn't wear, what they did on any given day, what they did with their money, you follow me? Think about what you know of the Old Testament law and imagine it, if you will, mankind taking that law and adding to it and adding to it and adding to it and adding to it in order to control people. See, they understood the concept of a kingdom. I wonder what we think and how we process when we hear this phrase, the kingdom of God. I'm an American. I live in the land of the free and of the brave and I have rights, but Recent events have really caused us to take a good look at that and what that means and what it could look like, what it is looking like, our relationship to authority. 
the ability of those who are in power to either abuse that power physically or to abuse that power by the rules they make, the laws that they pass, the proclamations that they make. Now, this is going out on the Internet, and I'm thankful you guys are with us watching from home. My intent is not to try to you know, start a revolution. And, but I, I think it's valid that we stop for a minute and think, identify with people in Jesus' crowds that were coming to hear Him speak. How do we hear this phrase, the kingdom of God? See, we formed as a country because a king was a bad thing. Right? That's the roots of our beginning. Or at least a king that was not a good king. But remember, the American Revolution comes on the heels of, of many, 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 many examples of bad kings. In fact, you have to look really hard to find a, a good one in history. They're very far and few between. Even in the, in the Word of God, right? There's a small number of good ones, but by and large. So the idea of a king, the idea of a kingdom, and me living in a kingdom, Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. The people in the crowd go, oh yeah, I know all about a kingdom. And I wonder how we process it even today in the moment that we're living when we hear Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God. We hear Him say, the Father delights. He loves to give you the kingdom. He wants you to consider where you're investing, where your treasure is, because where your treasure is, your heart will be there too. Really what He's saying is, what kingdom are you investing in? Because whatever kingdom you embrace, whatever kingdom you invest in, that's where your heart will be. That's where your hope will be. Are we together on that piece? Whatever we're looking to, whatever we're investing in, whatever kingdom that might be, it can be a kingdom of a savings account, it can be a kingdom of a, a career, a job, it can be a kingdom of government or education, right? It can be just about anything that we say, this is where I'm going to invest because this is where my hope lies. Jesus is telling the crowds, the kingdom of God has come and I represent that kingdom I wonder how they process that. If you go back to our text that Josh read this morning, starting verse 13, he's still with the crowd, and someone from the crowd says to him, Teacher, teacher, I have a question, or I have a request, if you will. Remember the setting, right? We just saw last week it was pretty chaotic. It's a massive crowd. This man felt empowered for some reason. He had heard Jesus teach, how he spoke with authority. He had seen miracles. I don't know, but he was convinced that Jesus was the one to side with him. And so he said, I have a, I have a request. I, have, I, I want you to do something for me. Rabbi is what he's saying. Tell my brother, I love this, <laughs> tell my brother to divide with me the, the inheritance, what's coming to me, the way that I want him to. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's, he's doing a, a um, respectful temper tantrum, is what he's doing. He doesn't like, there's rules, there's rules that govern this, depending on your birth order and, and how it's divided, and he didn't like it. Likely, his brother is the older brother, we don't know that, but likely it's the older brother that's not doing it the way he wants. He doesn't like the distribution. He doesn't like what's happening in his life. And he says, Jesus, teacher, tell him to do what I want. And Jesus does what he does a lot, right? He answers a request or a question with a question, right? There's a parenting technique in here, just for those of you that are parents. And if you have teenagers especially, no disrespect to teenagers. But the conversations are much more interesting, parents, if you just always answer a question with a question. Think about it. Jesus answers him, he says, friend, 
who appointed me a judge or an arbiter, arbitrator? Who, who made me the boss of you, is what he's saying. Who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you in the situation that you're speaking of, the request you have? He responds with a question, and then he moves to where he wants this discussion to go. From before time began, he knew what this moment would be about, and he turns it and he says to them, watch out. Now, this is not the answer this guy was looking for. Would you agree? Ah, it's not fair. It's not fair what my, the amount that I get. I want you to tell my brother to make it fair. And Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. He's talking to the crowd against all. Greed. It's the word for covetousness. We most often translate it in English. Covetousness. Wanting something more. Wanting more than what you have. Because there's a hint of unfairness. There's a hint of being shafted. Watch out and be on guard against all greed or covetousness because, and here's the truth that he wants to, to begin this whole text with and he'll build on it, life is more. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Life is not found in this particular kingdom. Now, we live in a physical world, do we not? We live, God created the earth and He made gravity so we actually have our feet rooted down and we stay walking on and living in this earthly, physical realm. And we have fleshly bodies and we need to eat and we need to sleep and we need to put clothes on. Yes, we do, if you need to hear that this morning. We've got to put clothes on and we need shelter. We need these things. But Jesus says there's, there's a real danger here because He says, watch out. It's a warning he says, take a look at how you're living. Be on your guard because there's something that's going to trip you up. It's called greed. And what that greed is going to do, it's going to cause you to live in the, mo in the, in the physical fleshly realm and come to believe that that is what life is all about. My clothes, my food, my job, my house. All normal things, good things, right? Things that I need. But Jesus says it's so much more than that. Young man, he's just, he's missing the point. He's th he thinks life will be what he wants it to be when what? When he gets what he wants. When his brother does a fair deal, then life's going to be good. And Jesus says, no, no, there's a danger. I want you to watch out. I want you to be on your guard against greed because life is not found in the abundance of possessions. Let me tell you a story. Not me, Jesus. Let me tell you a story. Then he tells them a parable. Jesus loves to tell stories. By the way, another parenting technique. Let me just throw it out there. Tell a story. I'm the king of lecture. doesn't work. Tell a story. He told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. The crop came in way better than he expected. The, the wheat is piling up, the grapes. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my harvest, my crops? It's way better than it's been maybe the last couple of years. The rains came at the right time. I don't know, but man, did I have a harvest. I have all this stuff. What am I going to do? I know what I'll do, he said. I'll tear down my barns because they're kind of, you know, been good enough for the normal crop, but I need bigger ones. So I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and I'll store all my grain and my goods there. That's reasonable, right? Don't, don't judge him. God provided a great harvest. He made a, he made a killing in, in, the, in the wheat trade or whatever, it's the futures, whatever. 
And he's, gonna, and he's got all this, this product that, it, man, this is awesome, but I, I'm going to lose it if I don't take care of it, so I'm going to build bigger barns and I'll have a place to store it. It's good. But notice what his internal life is doing. I'll say to myself, I got a plan. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. <laughs> You're set. I'm telling you, you are man. This is you are good. You're set. Take it easy. That's what I'll do. I'll take it easy. I'm going to stop working so hard because <laughs> come on, why would I work? I got so much money. I don't know what to do with it. I got so much grain and crops, crops, whatever. I'll take it easy. I'll eat. I'll drink, and I'll enjoy myself. I will live in which kingdom? You following the story? The point of the story? Put it in the context of what Jesus is teaching his principle that life is not found in the things of this kingdom of this world and this this person we don't know yet what Jesus thinks of him we're about to find out thinks that he's he's good but God comes to him and says to him this man in this story who has just resolved himself man life's good I got what I want I'm going to enjoy myself God says to him you fool now, I offended the whole first service, I'll offend you too. Idiot. That's what he's saying. See, I saw that, look. Idiot. Does God use that word? I don't know. He uses the word fool, which is just as strong as our English word idiot. You are completely clueless as to what's really about to happen. You're completely clueless about kingdoms. The kingdom that you think you live in and the kingdom of God. You're completely clueless. And I want to give you these two words. They're going to show up in all of our, all of our the, the, points, the three points this morning. Sovereignty and loving kindness. You're completely clueless to God's sovereignty and God's loving kindness. Everything this man planned, everything that he thought, his, his conclusions, his, his purpose for life was void of God's sovereignty and His loving kindness. I use those two words specifically as we move through this text this morning. I believe they capture, in part, the kingdom of God. This man was ignoring the existence of the kingdom of God. He's ignoring God's sovereignty and God's loving kindness. God says you're a fool. You're living foolishly. Do you know what really is going to happen this very night, tonight? The implication seems to be that as he goes to sleep in his bed, He's going to die. Your life is going to be... You're not going to die of natural causes. You're not going to die of a heart attack. Well, maybe that's what God used. But in the parable got to this man, he says, you have zero control over your future. And where you're putting your hope, the kingdom where you're investing, where your heart is, is misplaced. Because I'm going to demand your life. I'm going to demand an accounting. You're going to stand before me tonight. And the things you have prepared, this word prepared, one of my favorite words in this text, it literally means your plans. I am a planner. I, you can look at my schedule. That just makes sense to me. All your plans, the, 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 your, what you've prepared, that is you've laid out your life. You've decided where your, your trust is going to be, your hope's going to be, how you're going to live your life. How's it going to affect you? How are you going to benefit from it? You're not. All that stuff you got is going to go to somebody else. And then he makes his point. He reiterates his point, reinforces it through this parable. That's how it is 
with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what it's like for the one who chooses to live in the kingdom of this world and ignores the kingdom of God. Let me, let me give you a point and, and say it this way. Greed tempts us to try to live outside of God's sovereignty and loving kindness. Greed tempts us to live life on our own terms or by our own plans. Now, this, is, this is sometimes challenging for some of us because, and, I, and I'm in this category, plans are a good thing, aren't they? I, I've told you about my vacation experience, right? And, and all 30-something years of marriage, I, you know, I used to, do you love me a little bit, hopefully? Um, I used to put together a binder. And in the binder, this is before internet. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I know it sounds silly. But I had a binder and, I had, and I'd print, you know, the, the reservation and the tickets for Disneyland. You had to you have, you know, all this stuff or whatever. And I would have it all laid. And, and there would be a schedule in there. What were, how many hours it took us to drive? To, okay, it, it sounds really dumb now. But I would lay out this whole thing. And Becky one time just said, you know what? Let's just, let's just go. I said, all right. And I really, I was mad. I was I, honestly, I was mad. Like, what? She doesn't appreciate my planning. And so we did. We did it, and we ended up going down there. And we didn't have a hotel. We just said, "This is what we're going to do." And we we'll, and we we found a hotel that night. It was dark. I'll never forget that hotel. I know you won't either. Before they had plastic in front of everybody, there was a thick plastic thing with a little thing to put your money through. You know, and there was a person back there, and there was a red light. I kid you not, a red light bulb right here on the wall which should have been a sign, right? We go in and it's like a courtyard. You go through this gate, we get in there, there are holes in there, they seem to be clean, but there were holes in the sheet. When we pulled them back, there were holes in the mattress. The air conditioner was missing the, the cover. It was just the, you know, the, whatever. And there were gunshots at night. There were sirens. There were, there was, and it was right by Universal Studios. Universal City, I think, was whatever that is right there. I laid there in bed going, plans are a good thing. You, you've made plans. You, you've put together a plan. You, you, you have this, this, this crop and you need to store it. Plans are good. And yet, the danger, Jesus says here, is that we, we, we make these plans like we're, we're outside of His kingdom. We're in our own kingdom. I got this. And that's what greed does. Greed affects how we think, how we look to the future. And it tempts us. I, I think it calls of God's sovereignty and His loving kindness. Do you, do you see the, the two ends, if you will, of the, of the scale of God's nature? See, God claims to be completely, totally sovereign. Was He sovereign during the Roman Empire? He claims to have been. What about in the 30s and 40s in Europe? What about now? What about right now? All that's going on, the way that we're treating each other, the, 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 everything. God says, I'm sovereign. My kingdom is here and I'm sovereign. And we need that. We need to embrace that and live there. The other side of this scale of God's nature is His loving kindness. I not only need to know and I need to live in the reality that God is sovereign, that He's in control, but I also need to live in the reality that I don't deserve to be in His kingdom. I've grappled with this personally this week. It just it hit me especially hard for some reason. I don't belong in His kingdom. How did I end up in His kingdom? His loving kindness. 
You say, what, what, this loving kindness phrase, where do you see it? It's all over the Old Covenant. It's all over the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see the word grace, mercy, forgiveness. Where is grace and mercy and forgiveness rooted? It's rooted in God's nature because by nature, He is loving and kind. If I just have His sovereignty, you know what? i got no business being in His kingdom. But if He's sovereign and towards me He shows loving kindness, that's how I got in the kingdom. That's how I'm a part of the kingdom. And what greed does is it tempts me, it calls me to ignore that, to live outside of that in my own plans. Let me, let me give you some thoughts, and I'm just going to move through them quickly. I don't do this a lot, but I, it, just, it struck me this week, these thoughts kept coming into my mind, and I want to give them to you. How do I know when greed is a problem for me? I want to know. How do, he says, watch out, be on guard, warned. Well, that tells me that I got blind spots. Do you hear that in there? Do you hear that in his words? And he's saying, hey, pay attention to this. How do I know when greed is a problem for me? When I convince myself that the future is mine to create. Now we're back to the plans. We're back to the, the dreams and purposes. Man, I'm telling you, I had a binder for that vacation. And there was no variation from that binder. If Becky said, hey, let's stop here. That giant, look at, all the, look at the pea soup. There's this place, it's a restaurant. That's what the, you know what I'm talking about? Anderson's split pea soup. I love split pea soup. Let's stop there. Can't, you know, because my plan, we have to be by so-and-so. Some of you are laughing because you do this too. Other of you are laughing because you're on the receiving end of it. When I convince myself somehow that the future is mine to dictate, to create, I probably have a problem with greed. Number two, I live like I believe the one with the most toys wins. Seen the bumper sticker? Now, just full disclosure, this is not always a problem for me. It comes in seasons. I don't even know how to explain that. But it comes in seasons. I was struck yesterday. We were trying to clean some of the garage. And I'm looking at something going, what in the world? What in the world? What, was, what possessed us? We had to have that. We had to have that. We had to have this. And I'm not going to name what it is because I'm not going to throw my wife under the bus. In fairness, she's not up here to defend herself. But it, I, we were talking about it. A couple of my kids were there and we were going through stuff. And then I was spewing this. What in the world? Where did this come from? And one of my kids said, well, Dad, look at that side. Well, it's all, those are all tools. Those are all things, you know, that I, I do stuff with. You know, I, uh, you know we're, it comes in seasons, and it's like, oh, I, I'm living like the one with the best tools, the one with the newest thing is, wins. Maybe greed is a problem. When I live like I believe the one with the most toys wins. Number three, I celebrate or I complain about life in terms of what I have. That's what this guy was doing, right? Life's not good because I don't have what I want. Life is really good because my brother came and gave me 80% of the inheritance. If we're, if we're complaining or celebrating about life based on what we have or don't have, maybe greed is finding a home in our hearts. Number four, when I'm certain just one more, and I want you to just, if you're writing stuff down, put a blank, and then you fill it in. When I'm certain that just one more blank would make me happy. One more cordless rigid tool. I have quite a few, but there's more. <laughs> and they come out with more every year. And all the, bat the batteries work on all of them. Makes sense. Good planning. <laughs> Just one more blank would make me happy. So how do we guard? Jesus doesn't get into it here. The Word of God gets into it a lot. But how do we guard our hearts against greed? Let me just throw out a couple of thoughts. Number one, evaluate your attitude towards privilege 
and abundance. Evaluate your attitude right now towards privilege and abundance. Traveling to different places around the world has taught me this. Every single one of us in this room, regardless of your, the details of your circumstance, everyone in this room right here are privileged. We are privileged and we have abundance. Now, we don't always see it because in context, right, we can always compare. But you travel around the world and you see how most of the world lives and you will come home realizing that I am privileged and I have abundance. What's your attitude towards that? Am I saying just get rid of it, let's go live? No. And he'll, he'll, he'll talk about this. But it's our attitude towards that. Where did privilege come? Well, it came because I'm an American, because I, you know, I'm a Christian, because I'm... You fill in the blank. I worked harder than other people. I didn't hear, did you have... That's the right attitude. Evaluate your attitude towards privilege and abundance. Number two, steward all that you have like it belongs to God because... Good. Present your plans to God's permit process. <sighs> I got an email this week where we want to put a cross. We want to put some lettering and we want to put a cross on the chapel. Isn't that good? It's going to light up at night. It's really awesome. I got an email this week. Uh, the county you know, decided that this and that, and, and so they stopped the permit process, and we have to go back and start from zero. And, and don't worry, we're going you know, to respond, and we're going to come back, and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm not worried, but it's like, oh my goodness, how frustrating that is when you have good plans. Take whatever plans you have. Take that binder with your vacation plans in it. I know nobody does that anymore. By the way, it's on my phone now. It's not in a binder. Present your plans to God's permit process. Let God be the authority that says, those are good plans. We're going to do that together. Or God's going to come back and say, no, those aren't the plans that I have for you. The plans that I have for you are good, and they're going to be this. Or God comes back and says, our favorite word, wait. I'm the only one that says wait. Or when you hear wait, it's like, what do you mean wait? What are you talking about? I already gave you my Starbucks card. The drink should be right there. Look at all the cars behind me. What do you mean wait? Uh, sir, I'm sorry, but... The... Does God say wait sometimes? He does. The county right now is telling us wait. You've got to do it differently. Present your plans to God's permit process. Number four, greed will not grow when we walk by faith or are known by love and are seeking to be a voice of hope. They're incompatible. One will overcome the other. You want to overcome greed? You want to fight against greed in your life? Then live by faith be known by love, and live to be a voice of hope. And finally, number five, the best protection against greed is... Is it on the screen behind me? Or did you all, are you all that smart? The best protect, protect, protection against greed is generosity. So then Jesus says to his disciples, verse 22, remember he's interacting with this guy, he has this request, he says what he says, he tells a parable, he makes his point, what he wants to teach, this kingdom of God, what it looks like to live in. Be careful, because greed will call you, tempt you to live outside of it. Then he says to his disciples, and I, I love the, these moments have become so more real to me as we go through Luke. Just paying attention to who Jesus is talking to. And this is another one of those examples where he turns to those that have chosen to follow him, his disciples. They've sacrificed, haven't they? They've left behind a lot, and they're following him. And he turns to them and he says, therefore I tell you, you guys that are my disciples, you guys that are following me, 
you men and women, don't worry about your life. Now why is this significant? I think in part it's significant is because Jesus knows what we grapple with and what we hear when He talks about the kingdom of God. And the way He shuts this guy down and then He tells this story and they're like, well, if I'm in the crowd, I'm like, wow, what a smart guy. He made plans. That's, that's what I would do too. Build bigger barns. Yeah, and, and, and oh wait, no, oh, maybe his attitude's not right. Man, this is hard, guys. This is hard. How do we know God's plans, our plans? How do we live in this kingdom? And, and he's telling us that we've got to watch out. The greed. I've been greedy. I'm listening to him teach. And I, yeah, that's me sometimes. I, I struggle with these things. They'll come to him later, right? And say, hey, what happened? We've left behind all this stuff. What are you going to do for us? Do you remember that moment? See, they're grappling with it, struggling with it too. And I love that he understands this. He knows what we're feeling and struggling with in our minds and our hearts. And he says, don't worry. Is this a little disconcerting to you, this kingdom stuff and how it looks to live and trust God? Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry what you're going to eat. Don't worry about the body, what you'll wear. Is what we worry about, right? Our needs. For life, and I write in here, in the kingdom, this life that Jesus is calling us to is more than food and the body more than clothing. Let me give you some examples, guys. Hey, we've been walking around for a while now, and, you, and this is, you know, you know this area, and you've seen this. What about those ravens, those crows? You know what I'm talking about? We have, um, although I don't know if I see them too much, magpies. Do we still have magpies? Is, are they like more rare? I don't know, sorry, rabbit trail. Okay, sorry. Um, I don't think I've seen them as much. But he says to consider these, these scavenger birds, these ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have a, a, a plot of land where they're planting food, and then they come out and they, if you just picture birds, you know, trying to harvest wheat. Come on, get into the moment. They don't have a storeroom, they don't have a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Think about this, okay? They're thinking about it. Let me ask you this, guys, ladies, men. Can any of you add a cubit to your height through worry. Can you add a foot and a half to your height through worry? Oh boy, if, if I could have. <laughs> I was like five foot as a junior in high school. I'm still, you know, vertically challenged, but I'm, I'm telling you, being a junior in high school, five foot, and there's an elementary school next door. <laughs> yeah, Matt gets it, right? I heard it a countless times. Hey, you're at the wrong school, dude. Aren't you supposed to be over there, the sixth graders? You know, if I could have just, oh, oh, I just want to be taller. I just want to be taller. Whoa, I'm taller. He says, that's ridiculous. Can any of you do this? And they're going, no, no, of course not. We can't do that. If you're not able to do even a little thing, Jesus considers that a little thing, why worry about the rest? These other questions and concerns. Let me give you another example. Look at the flowers that you see growing, growing around you, the wildflowers on the side of the roads that we're walking. They don't labor. They don't spin thread. They don't know how to knit a blanket. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor. In all of his kingdom, was he ever adored, adorned like one of these flowers on the side of the road? If that's God's heart, hear this. This is what he's saying. If that's how God clothes the grass, if that's his concern and his heart for the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown in the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? You have little faith. See, they're struggling, aren't they? Let's just be real. We're struggling today. We're looking at the kingdom of this world in which we live. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose sight of God's kingdom. 
And maybe our response is, the, is greed. You say, that's a terrible word. But that's what it is when we take our, our life into our own hands and we make plans to survive what's happening. Because that's where our hope is. God says, do you, don't, do you not get how much I love you? How much you mean to me? Here's the thought if you're taking notes. Worry erodes our confidence in God's sovereignty and His loving kindness. When I allow anxiety, worry to fill my thoughts in my heart, it erodes my confidence in God's sovereignty. Am I not pushing back against God's sovereignty when I make my own plans? And exclude Him? I don't submit it to His permit process? Are you with me? Am I not pushing back against God's sovereignty when I say, I, I, I know what to do, I know what I need to do. I know what needs to happen. I, need, I know what needs to happen in my government or in my society or in my economy. I know how this is fixed. Am I not pushing back against God's sovereignty? And am I not pushing back against God's loving kindness for me? His grace and His love for me. Where is God in this? Jesus says, don't forget the ravens. Don't forget that little, check out that flower. Isn't that incredible? Solomon couldn't even do that. Who did that? God did it. And if God did it for that little flower, Jesus says, do you not understand how much you mean to Him? How much He loves you? i got to move quickly. I'm going to say these quickly, okay? I'm sorry if you're writing them down. I think they'll be on the, they'll be on the screen. We worry when we don't see Jesus clearly. Cut and dry. It's that simple. You don't see Jesus in the midst of this mess. You are worried. You are full of anxiety. When we lose sight of Him, worry takes its place. Number two, we have anxiety when we replace God's plan with our own. Number three, life is so much more than having our needs met in the moment. God forgive us. God forgive us. God lead us to confess when as children of God, we live in the moment of meeting our needs and we lose sight of the kingdom of God. His eternal purposes, what He is doing. He is so sovereign. He is so loving and kind. He is so much bigger than what's happening. And God forgive us when we get caught up in the moment because my needs have somehow been unmet. And that becomes my focus. Worry erodes my confidence in Him. The truth is, and this is my favorite thought, we are in fact surrounded by God's loving kindness. I think that's Jesus' point. The birds, the flowers. Guys, stop. Ladies, stop. Look around. Do you not see what I'm seeing? What are you saying? Do you not see what I'm seeing? I need you to see this. Stop. Look. And then I need you to know that's evidence of God's loving kindness and what you mean to Him. So then in the last few verses, He says this. Stop striving. Now, this, whole, this last section, He uses the same word over and over. It's seek. It's zeteo in Greek, if you care about that. It literally just means to seek after something. He says, stop striving. Don't keep seeking after what you should eat and what you should drink. But Jesus, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. I mean, he says, stop. Stop making that your priority. Stop striving. Look, stop having that appear as your top value. And stop being anxious. Stop worrying about how your needs are going to be met. For the Gentile world, the kingdom in which you live eagerly, same word, seeks after all these things. But your Father knows, He already knows that you need them. Is that good? Grab onto that. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling when you walked in here, 
Jesus claims that your heavenly Father knows you and He knows your needs. He knows what you need. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what pushes your buttons. He knows it. He gets it. He knows what you need. He knows that you need these things. He knows you need to eat, that you need clothes, that your needs to be met. But here's what I want you to do. Jesus is saying, seek His kingdom. Stop seeking after these things. Stop following what you see around you. Seek His kingdom. And if you do that, these things will be provided for you. Thank you, the two of you. should be all of us, shouldn't it? Amen, that, that God gets it and He knows our needs and He knows what they are and He has already reminded us that He cares about the flowers and the birds. He cares about us so much more. These things will be provided. So, stop being afraid. Stop living in worry. Stop living in anxiety. Stop being afraid, little flock. Are you offended? I kind of was at first. I'm like, meh, what are you talking about? You know, I'm just a sheep, meh. Yeah, that's what we are. <laughs> We're a bunch of sheep, and sheep are very powerless. They're filled with anxiety. They need everything done for them. They follow each other around like fools. They're one step above lemmings, I think. He says, you're just a little flock of sheep. And I know that. And I want you to stop. But do you understand there's wolves? Yes. I... And there's bears. What did David fight off? Bears? Lions? Oh my, <laughs> because I know, I know, I get it. You're sheep and there's these dangers out there, but listen to this, your father delights. He gladly and willingly gives you his kingdom. What does he give me? He gives me his sovereignty. He invites me to live in his sovereignty and to snuggle up in his loving kindness. I hope that penetrates your heart penetrates your mind like it is penetrating my heart and my mind. He is sovereign and He is good. And He loves you. I'm a sheep. and I'm afraid. He loves you. He knows you're a sheep. He delights to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Take whatever it is. You say, we all got to come next week in, in a white sheet. No, no. But He is saying in the context of everything I just told you, you now know what it is that's between you and Him. Your plans, your possessions, whatever it is. This is what, these are my barns. I'm going to eat and drink and take it easy because this is where my hope is. He says, whatever that is, your possessions, sell them. Get them out of the way. Give to the poor. And now, make a money bag. It literally is a purse or wallet. Whatever it is you keep your, your money in, make ones that won't grow old. They're not temporary. They're not connected to this kingdom. In fact, Something you can fill with an inexhaustible treasure in heaven. Where no thief can come near and mess with it, and no moth can destroy it, take away its value. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hope this phrase takes on new life, and I want to inter invite the worship team to come prepare this morning. I hope this phrase takes on new life for you as it has for me. He's saying, you know, it's whatever kingdom you're investing in, that's where your hope's going to be. See, my hope for a good vacation could either be my plans, and planning's not wrong again, right? <laughs> I want to make sure I say that. Or it can be in God and His sovereignty and His goodness in being with us as we experience whatever it is that we're doing. 
pride, and I believe that's what this is. When we continue to strive, we continue to seek other things than God, and we're unwilling to give away and sell what is in the way, and we're unwilling to invest in His kingdom, that's pride. And what pride does is it ignores the gracious offer of God's sovereignty and His loving kindness. See, Jesus has ramped it up, and now He's basically saying, this is now your pride. If you choose to live in your own kingdom, it's pride. It's pride. And you're ignoring God's offer of sovereignty and loving kindness. We read these words in Colossians chapter 1. And while I read these words, I want to encourage you to prepare the bread and the cup. I apologize for these. I know these are less than stellar. The taste of the wafer can be a distraction. So I just want to throw it out there so we're not distracted. When you put it in your mouth, I get it. But I invite you to prepare that. And it takes a little effort to get them open. So feel free to do that as you hear these words. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. This is the kingdom of God. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And in this kingdom, we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus that night took the bread and he said, eat this in remembrance of me, what is he doing? He is planting in our hearts and our thinking the cost that is required for us to be in the kingdom of God. I got into the kingdom of God because... I'm an American, right? I play guitar. That has to count for something. How did I get into the kingdom of God? Yeah. And the price of grace is this. Jesus, that night with his disciples, he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory if you're in His kingdom. Jesus says, I want you never to forget the way that you're not going to don't forget is to remember this cup that he shared with his disciples. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. All of you drink it. And as often as you drink it, you proclaim my death till I come. What's the cost for entrance into the kingdom? It's this. You come to the cross. His body is broken. His blood is shed. And he says, drink and remember Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Will you join me, join us, as we set our hearts and set our minds on things above?
to be kingdom people. God's kingdom. Let's worship.